What wondrous love is this indeed. Our worship team has done a great job of helping us understand the centrality of the cross. But there is one more, one more passage as we conclude listening to this family story today. Mark 15, verse 42, and when the evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. You know, we've been bombarded with death these days as we have been struggling with the virus, the COVID virus. You're probably tired of hearing about it, I am. But the reality is, as we hear this account, as we read the family story, as we focus on who Jesus is and what he did, uh, as we unpack this, we see he was dead. He was taken down from the cross and laid in a tomb and given the initial preparation for burial. Jesus was dead and death, death is something that has become more common to us these days, more prevalent in our lives as we, as we see the numbers. I know you students and I love you guys. I know you feel like you're invulnerable and I, I hope you are. I don't want any of you to get it. I don't want anybody I know to get it. I, I want this plague to be killed. But nevertheless, for some of us, death is a more present reality and a more, a more real thing than it has been in the long time. Maybe for some of you, the presence of death is scaringly, frighteningly real. But death is reality, and Jesus was, was dead at this point. He didn't pass out. He wasn't in a coma. He was dead, and his dead body was placed in the tomb. You know, this, this virus, this situation that we are in right now, gives us an opportunity to understand sin at a deeper level than we probably have ever understood it before. We're wearing masks. We're trying to stay away from people. Uh, we're, we're, we're trying to get the virus to die, but the reality is a sin is a plague that we couldn't take care of, that, that is a deadly trans, transmission comes all over the place. You could wear a mask, but sin is transmitted. We're born sinners. We're carriers of sin. We're transmitters of sin. And sin, the Bible tells us, is what kills us. Sin is what cuts us off from a relationship with God. Literally, sin is what kills us and cut us off from the God of the universe. But sin also then has the effect of cutting ourselves off from ourselves. Sin kills us. It destroys our soul. Sin is a killer in what it does to other people around us. So sin cuts us off from God. It cuts us off from ourselves. It cuts us off from one another. Sin is a plague 
And only Jesus was the one who could deal with this. And as we think about this time of the year, as we think about entering in, as we tell our family story about Jesus, we really ask the question to ourselves, how do I process this? What do I do with this? What do I do with the family story? How do we gain the most from it? Well, I think the early church was right. The early church fathers and our forefathers in the faith said we must enter in. And so as I was processing this and thinking about the hauntingness of this time of the year, I realized that we as God's people need to enter into the work of Christ for us in, in several ways. First of all, we need to enter into this emotionally. We need to look at the real activity of what went on in this text. And that's why we read Mark's story uh, and, and the account that Peter gave Mark. Because as we enter into this, we have to enter into it with, with the feeling that is really there. And in the original text, there are certain indicators that show us that probably what happened here is that Peter, who was an eyewitness to this account, of course, that Peter sat down with John Mark and the people in the city of Rome, the Christians in Rome, and, and he unpacked this story in, in the way that Peter, as emotional as he is and was, could, could do it. There are indicators in the text because a lot of times in the English, as we look at the past tenses, we miss that in the, in the original text, what was done was as this is, is written, the present tense is actually used, not in every point, but in many of the points. And it makes it more vivid so that we can enter in emotionally to what really is going on. For instance, it starts out that as Peter, uh, as we see that chief priests and the elders and the scribes took hold of Jesus, took him into custody, and then they brought him to Pilate in the early morning, probably by six o'clock in the morning, Jesus was standing before Pilate. And Pilate questions him and says, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, it says in our English Bibles, but in the Greek, it says, and he answers him in the present tense. Jesus answers Pilate and he says, it is as you say. And then the chief priests attacked Jesus as we heard tonight. And then, and then, and then Pilate asks, I, I have the opportunity to release to you someone. How about Barabbas? And they all say, crucify Jesus. Give us Barabbas, but crucify Jesus. Crucify him. The soldiers then are given custody of, of Jesus. The soldiers took him away into the palace that is the praetorium, and they called together. They called together. No, they, they called together the whole Roman co cohort, and they dress him up in purple, and they lead him out to crucify him, and they press into service a passerby, and they brought him to the place of Golgotha, the place of the soul, and they crucify him, and they divide up his garments, and they crucify two robbers with him by the use of the present tense. It's as if as if Peter is telling the story, he was there and he draws us in and he reminds us that what we have to do at this time of the year, because we've heard this story so often, is we have to enter into this text, into the reality of our family story personally. We have to allow it to engage our hearts we have to allow the reality of what Jesus did in all of its harsh and horrible brutality to grab us once again. 
because we take sin so lightly in our culture, we take the penalty for sin so lightly as well. This past week, I've seen a couple of the, the movies about Jesus, the crew, Jesus film, and the passion of the Christ. There is no movie I know that surpasses the passion of the Christ for the clarification of the brutality that Jesus endured for us. And in reality, it helps me enter in. It helps us enter in and to see what Jesus endured for us. And that leads us to the next sort of focus at how we enter in and not only enter in emotionally, but then taking it personally takes us that next step. By, by entering in personally to this, what I mean is that there is a responsibility that we experience as we think of Jesus on the cross. And taking it personally means that I am partly responsible for him going to the cross. It, it, it is fascinating how in, in Romans it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned, every one of us. And in the book of Acts, it's interesting how the apostles say to the Jewish leaders who put Jesus on the cross, you nailed him to the cross. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. You, we, us, me. It is important to understand our own responsibility in putting Jesus on the cross. It was our sin. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, once put it this way, he said, all of the sins of Jesus were borrowed sins. All of the sins of Jesus were borrowed sins. He had no sin. He had no guilt. He was the Lamb of God without blemish who took away our sins. It was my sin. And so Spurgeon then goes on in his sermon and says, give vent to your sorrow, O Christian, for you have good reason to do so. What makes this time of the year so haunting for me is not that the roads are emptier now. It always has the effect on me that when I see Jesus on the cross, I realize I put him there. I put him there. And personally, I can engage more with the reality of the cross. So we enter in emotionally and personally, but then thankfully, it's not Easter yet. I want to go to Easter. I want to go to Easter Sunday. But, but the Apostle Paul shows us how to enter in thankfully. I love 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement Deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, 
Christ Jesus might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only true God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so on this Good Friday, with the somberness of the reality of the cross, as we enter in emotionally and personally, we, we nevertheless have that deep sense of thankfulness that the cross was effective. Sinners have been redeemed. The curse was paid for. People who killed others can be forgiven, like Paul. Those that hate can have that sin forgiven. The cross is powerful and effective. And as we have sung tonight, everything that was important that had to be done to gain our salvation was accomplished on the cross. So at this time, on this Good Friday, we realize that a horrible Friday became a good Friday because all that was accomplished for our sins. And so Orangewood Church family, what do we do? What do we do today? What do we do on Holy Saturday as we contemplate the reality of Christ, his body in the tomb? We enter in in this way. We enter in and we remember and we pray that God would make our hearts softer to sin, to the reality of what Jesus endured for us, the horrible nature of what sin produced and the curse that had to be overcome, the plague that only Jesus could override, he accomplished on the cross for us. And that grace then becomes so energizing that it sets us free to live and to serve. Oh, the reality that the curse was horrible. We're proud, though, of our, of our family story. We're humbled by our family story, but we're energized for it as we take seriously what Jesus has done for us. That's how we enter in. That's how we enter in. And it occurs to me that maybe there are some who have never, ever entered into the family, but for some reason at this time of the year are more sensitive to their own sin. Perhaps you too have seen the movies and read the story and you are ready to embrace Christ. You can do that. The family that we're a part of is not a perfect family, but we are in the process of being made perfect by our King, by our Savior, Jesus. And you could enter in too by simply coming to him and admitting that you're a sinner and that you had part in putting him on the cross. Come to him. Say, I too am a sinner. I confess my sins. I repent. I want to follow you, Jesus. Come into my life as my Savior. You can do that. The Bible says, Whoever receives him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. I invite you to join the family as you enter into with us in the family story. Hey, let's pray together as we conclude our time.
our great God, how we come before you tonight asking you to take what for many of us is familiar, the old, old story, and make it real and make it practical and make it personal for us tonight. We pray that you would allow us to understand this at its deepest level and emerge thankful for our family story and energized by the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. Our Lord Jesus, we give you honor and praise. We lift up your holy name for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do. For we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. So we enter in. We enter in emotionally. We enter in personally. And we enter in thankfully. Remembering, as the preacher said, it's Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. But Sunday's coming. And now may the amazing grace of our master, Jesus Christ, the outrageous love of God the Father, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit go with you as you remember his deep love and concern for you. Amen and amen.